Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Today we are picking up from last week's message on the woman with the issue of blood and the, the uh, touching the hem of the garment. And um, today this is where it gets real. Up until now, last week what you heard was something that you can receive and you can begin to understand. And today it's now let's apply it. Let's actually do something with this. And so God's leading us into a great place of freedom. Um, I know that uh, it's been a heavy season for many. I know that there's a lot of hard things that are going on even today. Um, I know that people are pressing into some difficult circumstances and you just have heard from the Lord today, right? He is on the throne. He is well able. He is the name above every name. And at his name, at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. There is no circumstance. There is no situation. There is no crisis that doesn't have to come under the rulership of Christ when you put it there. And so we want to make sure that we're applying him properly. And uh, part of that is how we see ourselves. And I was thinking this week how interesting it is, how we identify ourselves, how we, how we respond you know, to life, how we respond to the people around us, how we're trained to categorize things, how we're trained to put ourselves in certain limits. Um, let me just put somebody on the spot here, just because. Uh, okay, who should I pick? Hmm, everybody's wondering, is it me, is it me? I'll start with, I'll start with Pastor Brad. Okay, of course, why not, right? Okay, uh, Brad, would you stand for a second? Um, let's just pretend nobody here knows you at all. Maybe some don't. If you don't know, this is Pastor Brad. Uh, he's a community care pastor here at the church. Um, just tell us something about you. Who are you? Good morning, my name is Brad. I am one of the pastors on staff here. My lovely wife, Linda, I am married, have been married for 36 years. I am a child of God. I am a son of the living King, and my purpose is to go forth and spread the gospel. Well done. Nice. Anybody else, you want to introduce yourself to the people? Volunteers, volunteers. Oh, yeah, I, I see Pastor Les is voluntolding somebody, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, you, you, you're going to need the mic camera. I'm very sorry. I don't think you can follow me. I don't know. But coming out into the room here. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's all you now. Oh, yeah. It was done. So, yeah. Oh, oh. Come on. Stand oh, oh. on. <laughs> oh. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? What would you like? Your name and tell us who you are. Hi, my name is Dwayne. And I've been here for uh, about three years now. And uh, I am a child of God. And yes, that's amen. Yeah, <laughs> and I am saved. Yes, amen. Good, yeah. awesome, well done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Dwayne. All right, anybody else? Let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, I'm I can see the panic on your faces right now. <laughs> this is really something. There's like two extroverts in the room going, Oh, I've been waiting for my moment with the microphone, but everybody else, no. My name is Leonard. I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> I, I really am. <laughs> and uh, I was saved when I was 16. And I thank God that I am here. Yes, so good. So good. Okay, so what you're hearing here, 
These men have got a revelation, and this is what we need to grasp. They were not pre-set up, by the way, so that's, this is really good. When we're in a crowd, when we're, we go into those really super awkward, like, you know, staff gatherings or the, uh, the family reunions that you were really looking forward to because you haven't seen everybody for a while, and then you suddenly find yourself in a group full of people that you actually don't know, and you're like, well, I... How do I start the conversation? I, I, you know, how's your life? What are you doing? Well, and you're scrambling for places to attach yourself. And what happens is in most circles, what we do is we, we define ourselves by our age group. We define ourselves by our marital situation, by our children's situation. And most prominently, we define ourselves by our work situation, our employment. Hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm a teacher. I'm so-and-so and I'm a server. I'm so-and-so and I'm a nurse. Whatever it is, we'll, we'll uh, start with that. Oh, and, and tell me about your life. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not married yet. My husband's still trying to find me. <laughs> I think he's lost somewhere. I don't know. But, you know, we'll start with something like that. Or, you know, well, I have three kids. And, and, and then other people, like, jump right on that. And they'll be like, well, why don't you have more? Why do you have so many? And, and we talk about these random weird things. And then we try and lump people into these categories. And I don't know if it used to be. Like, we always had, like, the baby boomers. And that was literally a definition for the fact that after World War II, a lot of babies happened. Like, it just, there was like this explosion of children, and so we just categorized that. But since then, we've decided to start categorizing everybody. And the boundary lines are getting tighter and tighter and closer and closer. And so we're separating people, you know, by, by whatever classification they are. And these groups can't possibly cross with those groups. And these things can't possibly cross with those things. And then underneath all the classifications that we, we live under, we have the secret stuff that we just don't tell anybody. And those are the labels that we get a long life. We get, you know, whether we've had brokenness, whether we've had illness, whether we've had some sort of a mental struggle, whatever, there's things that we just don't want anybody to know. And so we'll hang on to that label and it becomes our identity in this thing that's tucked beneath us. And what God wants to lead us into and what is key to us moving forward is understanding that we have a new identity when we come into Christ. And it's completely absent of all the other stuff. All the rest of it that I've just talked about is the add-ons. It's the circumstances of life. It's the way we are privileged to experience life in some ways. And it's some of the hard things that we've gone through. But who we really are is the identity that God gives us. So for those who were here at Pursuit last Sunday night, um, there was a lot of prophetic word about actually getting up and doing that it's time to go, it's time to be, it's time to move. There's some stuff that has to happen. What's really hard about that is if you don't know who you are, you won't move. So if we're waiting for something to happen, and, and so you can see that, you know, you get a group of people just in a room, and, and um, I was at one, um, like a business Christian leaders gathering, and so we were broken into teams and, and sent to these rooms, and we were given a problem to solve, and half an hour or whatever to do it. It was supposed to be like a mixer. But none of us knew each other, so nobody knew each other's skills or whatever, and it was like the most awkward, horrifying experience I've had in quite some time. We've got this problem to solve. We're all leaders, so we all feel compelled that we darn well will come back with the solution, but nobody knows how to get there because we don't know what's there. 
And, and so we have this thing in God as well when we know it is time for the kingdom of God to advance. But if we don't know what's in the house, we don't know who we are, we, we don't even know what God has placed in us, we're just waiting for somebody to take the lead, right? We're waiting for somebody to take charge and tell us what to do. But it's gonna be super personal. And we're going to have to let go of some of our preconceived ideas about ourselves. Some of us have been flogging ourselves for 30 plus years and it's time to stop. It's just time to stop. It's time to move forward. Some have been on it for five years, 10 years, your entire lives. This is who I am and this is where I failed and this is why I can't and this is my family background and this is my disadvantage and whatever. Let me read to you from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15. And he's describing about the resurrection of Christ and he talks about verse seven, and he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Verse eight, then last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. And then verse nine, for I am, sorry, 1 Corinthians 15, verse nine, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. In other words, I'm not even worthy to be in this position because I was a scumbag. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He's saying, like, I'm not denying it. In fact, I'm happy to tell you, I was a problem child. I actually had some, I was the difficult one in the kingdom. I was the last one to the table. I was the last apostle to see Jesus. I was, I was actually playing for the other team entirely. So I'm not worthy, but by the grace, I am what I am. Some of us even today need to own that. You, you might have a thing, I, you know, I've got a history of this or a past of that, or I've got a train wreck back in the, but by the grace of God, today, I am what I am, and I'm owning it. I'm deciding to be who he says I am. So last week, we started with the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood, and, and it's such an interesting story. If you didn't see last week, please go back and get it. Um, and dig into the study. It's very, very cool. I know some of you are studying on it all week, but it really is an instruction on how to be all that God wants us to be, that we have two requirements. One, to be a son or daughter of God. Two, to act like it. That's our calling. That's the entirety of, you know, when Jesus says the entire law and the prophets are summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Like the, the love thing, it's, it's a son and daughter thing, and it's acting like we understand that. It's acting out of that place. None of us, the nicest people on the planet, still need Jesus. The most the most generous people on the planet still need Jesus. The, the kindest, most, you know, bleeding heart people still need Jesus. We all need Jesus. The worst people need Jesus. The most difficult people need Jesus. There's a movement 
um, going through the states right now. Most of you have heard about it, the Let Us Worship thing um, with Sean Foyt, and some agree with it and some disagree with it. I'm, I'm personally a big fan because uh, Jesus is doing something amazing in, the, in their gatherings. And so they have like, uh, last week they had um, gatherings and they had Antifa show up and like tear gas them and like throw stuff at the people. And they just kept worshiping. And meanwhile, some of the protesters began to get saved. And there's, there's guys coming in and they're so broken. They had a, a busload of guys who were uh, ex-convicts that came in and, and they're weeping at the altar. And people are like throwing their drug paraphernalia on the stage and just sobbing in the presence of God. And I think to myself, those are the people like Paul who are gonna get up and go, man, I don't deserve this, but I'm so grateful for it. And I'm I'm going to give everything to live this out with every day of my life, right? That's what we want to be. We want to be those kind of people. And I believe this woman was one of those kind of people. She was aggressive in her pursuit of Jesus. She was aggressive in her need of him. She had no other options. How many of you have had no other options but Jesus? Some even today, you're like, I have no options. You do, Jesus. You do that, that this is, and I'm not even just saying that as a pump you up thing. I believe Jesus is the answer to every problem, every question, every issue that you have. Jesus has an answer for you in it. And this woman was this. And so we're going to just read it quick to, to recap uh, Mark 5. 25 to 34, and again, it's in uh, three different gospels, but in Mark's version, starting at verse 25. Now, a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But the disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. There's this interesting thing that happens. We've got um, the title of the message is Touch the Hem and Taste the Glory. And we know that when we touch his hem, there's something that we grab, but we need to make sure that we get the whole picture, that we don't just look for a healing, we look for a transformation. We don't just look for, God, I'm not just looking for you to supply, I'm looking for a transformation. I'm not just looking for you to heal, I'm looking for a transformation. I'm not just looking for you to restore, I'm looking for a transformation. I want to walk away from this encounter with you as a completely different person. I want to walk away touched by Jesus. And so this woman, we went through, uh, there's the four points, um, believe, receive, acknowledge, and activate. And we're, there's an inhale and an exhale, a take in from God and a, and a walk it out. So number one, believe. And we know that it says that she heard. And, and so this is the inhale. She heard that Jesus was coming and she, she believed he was who he was. There was this, this believing that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And so it was worth the effort. And then receiving, she touched the hem of his garment. She actually, she believed that he was God. She believed that he was the Messiah, but she actually had to do something about it, right? It's one thing. There is a lot of people, are a lot of people. There's my grammar gone wrong. There are a lot of people who believe in God, but don't know him who believe in Jesus, but don't know him, who believe that God exists, but don't know him. And that's the crossover point. Knowing about him and knowing him are two very, very different things. And everyone who knows about him is invited into knowing him. Knowing about him is educational. Knowing him is transformational. It's completely different. And so we, we want to see people know him, experience him, engage him. And so this woman does this, and it says that she touched the hem of his garment. She grabbed it. And again, whole big teaching from last week. So please catch it if you didn't already. But the word touched it. She touched it means to attach oneself to, to fasten to, and to set on fire or light up. So she didn't just like touch the hem of his garment. She grabbed it. She attached herself to it. And something happened on the inside of her that lit her up. And I believe when we have had an encounter with God, something lights up on the inside. People wonder why there are some Christians that are just a little bit more, you know, exuberant than others. I believe a lot of it has to do with how much of him we have touched. It has to do with the pursuit Mel shared this morning at the opening, when we choose to put on the garment of praise. Some of us, we might know about God. We might even have a beginning relationship with him. But if we come to the table, we come to that gathering place, and, and the, the worship starts or whatever, you know, your own personal time. You sit there and it's like, well, this is my half an hour with the Lord and so I'm going to sit with him. But you're just sitting there like, like, God, I believe you're real. I believe you're there. I'm here. Do what you do. Please. No? Okay. Um, you know, we'll do that with God. And God's like, I want you. Come on now. Your will is got to be engaged. I want you to want me. And the word says that if we will pursue him with our whole heart, we will find him. When we knock, when we ask, when we seek, he is there. He is answering. But he's looking for us to ask. And so sometimes it is coming to that place where you drag yourself up and you get dressed and you come to church and you're like, I'm going to sing. I will sing. Okay, fine. You want me to sing? I will sing. And maybe your attitude's not real right in the first at the beginning. You're like, oh, I'll show you singing. But you, you start, and then you start singing about the goodness of God. And you start singing about his faithfulness. And, and something happens where your brain begins to like reset itself and your spirit begins to rise up on the inside. In fact, the apostle tells us that we're, we're supposed to stir ourselves up in our most holy faith. There are times when we put on the garment of praise and we stir ourselves up in our most holy faith. And what it really comes down to is sing until you feel like singing. Dance until you feel like dancing. Clap until you feel like clapping because there is a garment that you're putting on and, and some of us just need to wrestle that puppy on. It is like your pre-COVID outfit that you're putting on post-COVID pounds. Uh, and it's, sometimes you gotta wrestle that thing on. Do it anyway. Come on, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> 
So we have to choose to receive it. This woman paid a price. She crawled through the crowd at risk to herself to lay it on the line to go after him to receive something from her. Something had been activated and she needed to be set ablaze. So now we're going to pick it up with the next two. So she had the inhale, the exhale, and now we begin to move into acknowledge and activate. Acknowledge what it is he has done. Acknowledge what it is he has done. Now I'm just going to say straight up, this is like, this is mom talk here. There comes a time when God has set you free from something. When he, you have asked, he has answered, and maybe you're in the baby processes of it, but for Pete's sake, drop the label and stop saying, I am a, I was a, I am hooked on, I have struggles with. There comes a time when we have to own what he says. The woman with the issue of blood, that's not her name, it's the point of access. We all have to come to a point of access where we know we need Jesus. Unfortunately, it's usually a place of brokenness. It's usually a place of hunger. It's usually a place of lack. It's a place where I come in and I say, I need something. And Jesus is that something. And so that point, whatever that thing was, I mean, I I don't even want to... I could go through the list in this room. How many people have had, you know, broken marriages, broken family, been abused, had financial crises, been robbed, you've dealt with health issues, you've dealt with mental issues, you've dealt with with drug and substance abuse. I mean, there's nobody in this room who's like, oh, I have had the perfect life. Praise Jesus. Everything has gone well. Every one of us has had a point where we've had to put a draw on him and and the the fact that we needed him is not a failure it's an access point that is it it becomes the starting point of getting to know him so here we go we're going to just read again from verse 28 in mark 5 for she said if i may if only i may touch his clothes i shall be made well and immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. Jesus was not concerned. You see, there's so many instances in the gospels where it says that Jesus knew their thoughts. That, you know, the Pharisees were thinking this and they tried to trick him and he knew their thoughts. He was discerning. Jesus was not looking for who rubbed off their uncleanness on him. He was looking for the one that was hungry enough to be ignited. He was looking, something ignited in him when something ignited in her and he began to look for her. He was after not the illness. He was after her as a person, her real identity. He saw something in her. It's this interesting passage because we know the story. We talked about it last week, but for her to even be in the crowd was a problem. She had been 12 years with this issue. Um, obviously she had internal hemorrhaging and whatever. So she was unclean. She should not have been in the crowd. She certainly shouldn't have been touching anybody. She pulls on him by faith and Jesus does the unthinkable and calls her out. Isn't it odd? 
Like when you think about it, because Jesus is so loving and he's so kind and there's nothing about God's nature that is cruel, damaging, hurtful, harming. So when we read it, doesn't it seem odd that Jesus would do that? Doesn't it seem odd that he would ask her to identify herself? Like, honestly, that, that is like me just saying, um, could everybody who has ever abused substances please stand up this morning? Like, why would we do that? What, what, anybody who has ever had an affair, anybody who has ever cheated on something, anybody who has, we would never do that. But Jesus calls her out. So we have to understand that because God's nature is good, because Jesus's nature is love, calling her out served a purpose. And we want to lean into that purpose a little bit. So Luke's version of this is in Luke 8, 45 to 47. And it says, and Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, everybody's like, oh, no, not me. Well, everybody was touching him. This is the thing. Peter and those said to him, master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? Everybody was touching him, but nobody wanted to lay hold of it. Isn't that interesting? Nobody wanted to say that they had encountered Jesus. Everybody was shy about it. They all denied it. Who touched me? Verse 46. But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out of me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, because she knew she'd received the power, he felt it go. She felt it come. She knew. There might be 50 people in the crowd, 100 people in the crowd, 200 people in the crowd, but I know I have just encountered Jesus. She felt it. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared to him in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. This is a big deal because there is this overcoming power in the testimony of the love of Jesus, the power of Christ, the activity of God in our lives. There is this overcoming thing. The reality is testimony shuts up the accuser. That's just how it works. Testimony shuts up the accuser. And so most of us have a history. Some of us, even this past year, you were a little bit ashamed of how you responded to the stress of the situation and the, the issues that were going on around you. And you're like, I don't even want to know how fearful, people to know how fearful I was or how angry I was or how upset I was. I don't want people to know. But what they need to know is where Jesus met you in that circumstance. See, the idea of separation with the, the, the church and the the Christianity separated from the rest of the population is that people who don't yet know Jesus don't understand that this isn't just a feel-good club. They don't understand that this isn't just something that we do because it's part of our social structure. This is our lifeline. And the reason that they don't know is because we don't tell them. You know, some of you might be here today and you're wondering, is Jesus actually the answer? 100%. I can guarantee you there is not a problem that you have that somebody in this room probably hasn't already had. There is, there is absolutely nothing that you could say that would shock Jesus. Nothing. And when we come to him, there's this encounter, there's this transaction that, that happens. And so when Jesus called her out, he could have said, 
Who was it that touched me? She comes up and she begins to say, you know, I've had this issue for 12 years. I've been bleeding and whatever. What, what in that moment she was risking is what if people stone her? What if people freak on her? What if she gets cast out of this? If people knew what I've just done and who I really am and what I really struggle with, this could be the end of my life, but it was worth it because she's looking in the eyes of the one who just set her free. And, and some of us were so scared if people knew what we have had to deal with in the past that they wouldn't like us, that they would judge us, that they would criticize us. And you know what? They have that prerogative. But we have this opportunity to look in the eyes of Jesus and say, thank you. And in that moment, everything changes. So she begins to tell what has happened to her and, and what has shifted. And, and suddenly... There's this removal of all shame. Nobody can come back on her after the fact and go, you know, she was unclean and she was in the crowd. We need to take her out. Nobody could say, oh, that, that woman. I mean, who knew? We knew she had problems, but now we know why she had. Jesus said, let's just lay it all out there and get her done. Let's just, let's just put it out there and let me wrap my grace over it. Let me wrap my forgiveness over it. Let me wrap my mercy over it. Let me wrap my love and let's see what they do with it then. Let, let's just put it out there so that it can be dealt with. What is really happening is that there's this shift. It's a massive thing and Jesus wants to put it on display. So it's a big deal that Jesus actually says that he felt power go out of him. Not all the power. He didn't lose his power. It means that there was a draw on who he is. The power of God dwelled in Jesus in fullness. Fully God, fully man. So this woman, she didn't grab onto him as a man. She didn't grab onto him as a person who has an answer. She grabbed onto him and said, I believe you are God. I want what you got. And she put a draw on him and he felt the power move. He felt something from, he felt somebody actually come after him. And it's kind of like this, you know, like a, a lamp. A lamp has the capacity, if it's plugged in, it has the capacity to light whatever anytime. But it takes somebody coming and turning on the switch. So everybody else in the crowd, I want you to catch this. Everybody else in the crowd touched him and nothing happened. She touched him and he felt the power move. Why? Because she wasn't putting a draw on him for something. She was putting a draw on him for being God. She put a draw on God. At the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. We've had these seasons where I think sometimes, you know, ministries can go a little bit off where we're, we, we know that God can heal. We know that God provides. We know that he ministers and does all these things. But if, if the stuff of God becomes the emphasis, we've got a problem. The craving for the presence of God has to be the premium pull and the rest of it comes with it. So she experienced her healing, but she was after Jesus, right? So she had been sick for 12 years. And I was thinking about this. 12 seems like a really long time long enough to deplete everything. It says that she had nothing left. She, had, she was worse than ever before. She'd lost all her money. She'd lost all her hope. 12 years is a long time. But interestingly, we know that biblically speaking, um, prophetic significance of numbers, 12 is the number for authority. It's the number for rulership. 
And so it's the number of, you know, the stones in the priest's uh, breastplate. It's the number of the apostles. It's the number of the tribes of Israel. Specifically, it's the number that uh, Jews will talk about. There's the number of God, which is three, and the number of man, which is four. And three times four is 12. So the number 12 is God's connecting with man. That's the significance of it. And so after 12 years, God connects with this woman in this supernatural way. And he feels the power go from him and into her. Why is this a big deal? Because the word tells us that we have this other force around us. That there is, there is God and there is the enemy. And he is called the prince of the power of the air. So there is a power at work upon the earth that is, it is demonic. It is satanic. It is evil. It is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And for 12 years, she had been under the power of one kingdom. And when she grabbed onto Jesus, she changed camps. The power shift. He felt the power leave her. And I believe when, when Jesus had her stand up, the power, the hold that the enemy had over her, it was dissipated in a moment because Jesus was acknowledging, no, she's walking in my power now. Something has happened on the inside of her that has changed. I believe there's a shift that has to happen in how we engage one another. We should be able to, as believers, we should be able to start a conversation with one another. You don't know, you know, you've, you've met people for the first time. I know it's awkward um, to, to have the conversation starters and we always start with, you know, what do you do for a living? How about, hey, nice to meet you. Would you like to come over for coffee? Let's get together. Meet each other. Oh, you know, start with the basics. You married, you got kids, whatever. So what's your God story? Why don't we start with talking about how good God is? Why don't we start with talking about what he's done in our lives? Why don't we start about talking about the places that he's rescued us from and what he's leading us into and shift the conversation away from the economy, away from politics, away from sickness and disease and fear and abuse and shift it right into the goodness of God? Why don't we make a power shift and the power that flows from our lives and in our lives and through our lives becomes this same kind of thing that she has, which is really all about activating it. It's this thing, you know, when Jesus had her stand and tell her story, I believe it's kind of like a wedding where you have to have a witness. He wanted everybody to see. She's not faking it. Something big has happened today and you are all here. You've been served notice that the king is in the room and life is here. You've been served notice that something has happened and there is a witness. So when she is called the woman with the issue of blood, that's not her name. It's the starting point and witnesses acknowledged it and then it began to be activated. So number four, activate. This simply means to walk it out and to choose differently. One of the things that I think is really cool about Jesus having this woman stand up and identify herself is it would be impossible for her to go back to her old life now, right? It would be impossible for her to go back and live in her brokenness because she'd been outed as whole. It would be impossible for her to go back. Some of us just need to testify right now. And you might say, well, I'm only three days into my sobriety. Great, three days, woohoo! That's awesome. You know, what, what is it? I'm, I'm only, I'm fresh on this journey. I'm brand new. I've only been saved for a month. 
awesome, a month of new life. That's fantastic. The best is ahead of you. Some of us want to wait until we have a 25-year power story to be able to reveal. And here's the truth. If we don't start at the beginning, there's no story coming out ever. Because that pull backwards is going to pull you and pull you and pull you until shame cloaks you again and you feel like you don't have anything to say. It's a lie. So Jesus outed her right there, puts it on, on the, the front thing and changes the label. He's straight up calling her healed. He's straight up acknowledging who she is. The name of the message, touch the hem and taste the glory. In Exodus, we know that Moses asks God, can I see your glory? Show me your glory. And God says, yeah, you can. I will let my goodness pass in front of you. So God says, this is basically, it's Exodus 33, 18 to 23, if you want to look it up. But he's saying, when you experience my goodness, you are experiencing my glory. My glory is my manifest presence. When you experience my goodness, this is me manifestly present with you. When you experience what I'm doing in your life, this is good. I, you know, we sing this, I will sing of the goodness of God. Do we outside of church? Do your coworkers know how good God is? Do your extended family members know how good God is? Do your neighbors know how good God is? Do your children know how good God is? Some of us want to be so perfect in the eyes of those that are around us that we're scared to let them know how good God has been to us because we know that they'll judge us, so we think that they'll judge us for the failings. But when we let them know who God has been to us, the goodness of God, his presence engages the circumstance and engages the setting. His power shows that his presence is there. When this woman felt the pull, she felt the, the immediately, she felt the power of Jesus, the power of God engage the sickness in her body. She knew she was in the presence of God. When we have signs and wonders and miracles, and there's lots of them happening all the time. We need to look beyond them and make sure that we're looking for what is that an indicator of. The fact that there's a miracle is not the miracle. The fact that there's a miracle is proof of his presence. And his presence is what we're after. That's what changes everything. Are you with me? It's that when God provides, it's not just thank you, God, provide that you provide, but God, when you provide, it, this is proof of your presence. And I want to tell everybody how you are present in my finances. You are present in my health. You are present in my mind. You are present in my relationships. You are present. You are good to me in this circumstance. Maybe your marriage is absolutely a train wreck right now, but when you have a day without a, a fight or you have a day without some major issue and you can feel God's presence in the place, thank him. Thank you, God. It's not yet where we want it to be, but it's not where it was yesterday. Thank you, Jesus. And you begin to shift atmospheres in your house. When your kid didn't swear at you today, praise God. I thank you. You're working on his heart. You know, like the, those moments, those places where we begin to see the power in action. We acknowledge the presence. It's not about the stuff. It's about the source. We have to look at the source. And when we understand the source, it changes us. It changes the, you know, I, I keep hearing these 
stories of, of different people who have had breakthroughs in whatever, in health or in finances or in whatever, like just generic stories. And it always comes down to some little thing like, I found out I wasn't to blame. It wasn't, it's, it's our society or it's, I was raised that way or it's my, who cares who's to blame? It's not about blame. It's about freedom. It's about who set you free. We can't keep looking backwards. Imagine if that woman just, she walks away from Jesus that day and everybody she talks to, she's like, oh, you can't imagine how hard my life has been for the last 12 years. I mean, nobody has touched me. Nobody has talked to me. I have been an outcast for 12 years. Like, yeah, it's been hard. And you know what? You didn't even check on me. I have been out of town for six years bleeding all over the place. Nobody even came to check on me. Nobody sent me skip the dishes. Like I don't, you have no idea how difficult it has been for me. And, and now what am I going to go back to? Like my life has been, so my youth is gone. It's been 12 years and now I'm just, what, what have I got left? You know, do you know how many of us do that? How many of us, uh, God has rescued us, saved us. And we go, but I've come from such a, a dark place. If you only knew how bad it was. I'm not invalidating it. Please don't think I'm mocking. I'm just saying it is so much worth it to shift gears. To repent means to turn around and go the opposite direction. It's like, see you crappy life. I am on to the good stuff. Like, that's what God's calling us into. And so Jesus actually leads her into this. I'm not just making this up. This isn't psycho talk. This is, this is Jesus actually doing this. And he leads her into this. And so Jesus has her stand up in front of everybody and tell her story. He's clearly not cruel. He's not trying to embarrass her. And in fact, the gospels are full of this, right? We know the woman caught in adultery. We know the lady at the, the well. We know the blind guy. We know the lame man. We know the people who were thieves. We know the people who were... Th that's just the subtitle that shows us the access point for God. There, there's a reason that they've got those headlines on those sections of the Bible. It's not so that we call them that. Like we do say the thief on the cross, but Jesus never saw him as a thief. It was at the fact that he was broken, the fact that he was lost and he knew he deserved judgment, that he repented. And that was the access point. The blind people, the, the beggars, the, the, that's not their identity. It's the access point. So Jesus has her stand up in front of the crowd and acknowledge her access point. And then he does this. In Luke 8, 48, he says to her daughter, huh, be of good cheer. Not woman with the issue of blood. You who have been bleeding all... No, he just, at that moment, he changes her name. Some of you have been, we've been trained through our society. I'm, a, I'm an addict. I'm a divorcee. I'm a, I'm a you know, ex-drug dealer. Man, I've been such a loser. I was, I was a cheat. Man, I, I have been not fiscally responsible. I got, I got issues. I got, I've been abused. I've got stuff. What's the name he's giving you today? You got a new name in him. When we come to him and we go, this was my stuff, then he goes, but this is who you are. When we put a draw on him and we feel that power, 
It's not wishful thinking. It's not emotionalism. It's called healing. It's called restoration. It's called life. And something new comes. And we can be like Paul and we can go, wow, I am so not worthy to be doing this, but I'm doing it. Because it's awesome. Because God's awesome. And he's called me to whatever it is. What has he called you to do and be? It's going to be attached to this. So he says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, let's just leave that up on the screen if we can for a minute. I want to break this down. First off, daughter. What is our number one calling before God? To be a son or daughter. Straight up, he's saying, this is your new identity. This is when you introduce yourself, it, it might be, hi, I'm... Jesse, and I'm a daughter of God. Hi, I'm Beth, and I'm a daughter of God. Hi, I'm James, and I'm a son of God. Like, whatever it is, this new thing, this is who she is. In front of everybody, while everybody would have had all the reasons to attack her, criticize her, go after her, Jesus validated her and gave her a label she could live with, a label that's worth it. He says, daughter, be of good cheer, your faith has made you well. Interestingly enough, the word uh, that's translated as good cheer is tharseo, which means to have courage. Have courage. So we, we're like, daughter, be happy. No, daughter, okay, be of good courage. Who else does he tell to have good courage? Joshua, going into the promised land. Moses, Gideon, people who were going out to take some territory. They were about to see some changes. They were about to see some shift in territory. They were about to see God do something mighty. And God stirs them up and he says, have good courage. You need to have good courage. You need to stir yourself up. He's telling her, like, essentially your life is about to be completely different. Be courageous. Let's go out and do this. Don't let anybody tell you what you were. You tell them who you are. You don't tell, let everybody bag on you for what you've done. You tell them what I have done. It's time for something to shift. The courage has to rise up on the inside of us that it doesn't matter how long it's been. Every day forward is growth. Every day forward is another testimony of his goodness, of his faithfulness. Though I'm telling you what, our broken society needs the men and women of God, the sons and daughters of God to stand up and tell who he is. Enough with the religious garbage, enough with the packaging of church boxes, enough with the labels and the denominations. It is about Jesus and Jesus alone. We have to stand up and proclaim him. It's no time for quietness. It's no time to passively wallow. It's time to shout it from the rooftops that we are free. So he says, daughter, be of good cheer or be courageous. Your faith has made you well. And this isn't just, I wish it, I wish it, I wish it. The word that is used here, this particular use of the word faith means personal conviction, your persuasion and your reliance of God. Your reliance on God. Man, I don't have anything left but Jesus. Awesome. It's about time. Some of us could have used hitting the credit card limit a long time ago just for the sake of putting a draw on God for his provision and his supply. But we've been praying for stuff and we've been having this backdoor uh, safety net just in case he doesn't show up. Well, guess what? He doesn't show up 
in those cases because it's not really a pursuit. It's just a wish. It's just that, man, it'd be nice if he did. But God's saying it is time for us. She, she did what we call, she bet the house. I mean, she put it out there. She is in a crowd, unclean, before everybody grabbing onto the rabbi. Like, there's no coming back from that point. Some of us need to get dangerous in our expectations of God. We need to put it all on the line. God, I trust you. I'm putting it on you. My faith is that you are enough. And when we're after him and we're not after the stuff, then he is actually always enough. What happens is we sometimes have these expectations of how we would like him to provide and how we would like him to heal and how we would like him to move. And the timeline, because it would be really great if this could happen by this such and such a time, God operates in his own way. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so when we're just after him and our faith is that he is enough, he will always be enough. So daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. And then he says, go in peace. Go in peace. There's a couple of different words for peace, but the one that he uses is irene, which means to join, to rest, to set at one again. Untroubled. Isn't that good? Yeah. To set at one again, untroubled. He's saying, okay, I know it's been 12 years of hell. But there's been a shift in power. There's a new king on the throne for you, and your life is about to change dramatically. And so I need you to understand that you're not going back to where you were. You're not under the same rulership as you were. You're not under the same bondages as you were. You have to look at me, and you have to understand that you are now my daughter, that you are part of this family, and daddy has enough. And so walking forward, you're going to be very courageous. There might be people that have things to say. There might be people that have judgments. There might be people that want to know whatever happened to you. Be very courageous because the fact that you put your full hope in me has made you well. You are well. And so you need to go forward in peace, in wholeness, in completeness. You need to go forward knowing that I'm enough for you. He's giving her these marching instructions. And I believe for most of us, if we could lay hold of that, if we could lay hold of the fact that we've had issues in the past, doesn't define our future, doesn't even define our now. It's the access point of him entering. And we could look at this. You could insert your name into that situation. You could insert, your, you know, you're a son or a daughter. And he says to me, daughter, be of good cheer, be courageous. Your full dependence on me has made you well. Go forward in wholeness. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Don't you think she was probably super glad that he had her stand up, even though she was terrified at the beginning? She didn't want to stand up, but she did. It's this kind of thing where we have to understand that God out of our brokenness, out of whatever he's healed us from, out of whatever he's doing in our lives, it gives us a story to tell. It gives us a song to sing. It changes the anthem of our lives. Um, Psalm 40, verse two and three, I, I love this passage. It says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth 
praise to our God, and many will see it and fear and will trust the Lord. What will many see and fear and trust? When you start living your new life song, it becomes this testimony that changes things for the people around us. The Message Bible puts it this way. He lifted me up out of the ditch. He pulled me from the deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this and they enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. Isn't that beautiful? This is a, this is a promise that has been put in practice by the psalmist. This is something that when I live my freedom, it helps others step into freedom. So the reality is if the enemy can come and he can accuse you and he can get us to live in just enough shame to keep it quiet, like if you knew who I really was, oh, I don't think you'd be my friend. If he can get you to keep that quiet, there's this surrounding group that you are called to influence that are meant to be set free by the song that you will sing out of your life. And so the strategy is pretty devious, really. Shame comes in and it wants to just wrap around your song. But this is why we put on the garment of praise. This is why we stand up. And uh, the prophetic song that we sang this morning was about that. Don't, don't live in that place of hiding things away. It's freedom that is being offered to us. So we step out into it by choice. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have a new life. The old life might have only been last week, but it's last week. Do you remember that feeling as a kid? I don't know if anybody else had this, but you know where you're, you cannot wait because they have had signs up all over the place that like the carnival's coming to town or it's like, town fair, the rodeo, whatever it is, stampede, and you can't wait. The commercials are so amazing, and you can imagine how awesome it's going to be and how, like, how much fun you're going to have there and how good the food's going to taste, and maybe you're going to throw up on the rides, which I don't know why is some sort of a challenge, but you, you're just, you know, in the, the carnival games, you are deluded enough into thinking you might actually win something, and you know, whatever, you've got this big picture, and you go, and you're having the time of your life, and maybe your parents or your date or whoever is paying a fortune for this night, and, but it's awesome, it's so much fun, and two days later, you can barely remember it. You're moving on. Why is it that the brokenness we can hang on to for decades? It really needs to go into that same category of, well, it was a season and it's over, moving on. It was costly. There may be a bit of a price that has to happen for, for a season, but it's past. It's over. It's behind me. Um, I'm going to have the worship team come as we close this morning. You, you guys know the story of John Newton, who originally wrote um, Amazing Grace. In fact, the original name for it, this is super catchy, was called Faith's Review and Expectation. So it's a good thing they shifted that. But 19, or sorry, 1772, he wrote it as a poem, and it was actually published in 1779. But the story goes, here's a man who was uh, a slave trader, um, ran a ship, 
Most of you have heard it. If you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, I would highly recommend it. It might be your afternoon viewing today on a rainy day. But um, he, he was absolutely blind to what was going on. It was just, this was just business. This was just the way the world functions. This is just the way things went on. And um, he has this moment when he's 45 and the ship is in the middle of a storm and it's, it's crashing and people are about to die. He's about to die. And he makes this deal with God that if you let me live through this, if you're real and you let me live through this, I will serve you the rest of my life. And he really bets the house throws it all on the line like God I just it's it's got to be you or we're dead and he has this encounter with God where everything suddenly changes for him and he suddenly can see the way his life has been and he suddenly knows how evil and how dark it has been and most of us actually have a bit of a sin consciousness where we when we stop and we think about it we don't have to tell anybody that they're sinners we all actually know we all actually know, I, man, I don't, I don't do great stuff all the time. Sin is anything that is falling short of who God is. Anything against Him, anything against His nature. And so we are born into it. So he didn't know this until he encountered God, how deep it ran in him. And he didn't know until he felt the forgiveness of God wash over him. And he ended up spending the rest of his life as a, as a preacher and he wrote poems and he wrote songs and he just spoke of the goodness of God. But one thing about him is he never tried to hide what he did. He always said, I was a slave trader. I, 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 I did the unthinkable 20,000 lives went through his hands over the course of his, uh, his job, his work. 20,000 and, and uh, you know, he talks about in his memoirs, he talks about, you know, wishing that he could repay the lives that were lost, wishing, but all he could do is count on the grace of God. All he could do was count on what God has done. He, he said this one famous quote that we all probably have heard at some point. He said, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. And that truth right there is the example of this woman with the issue of blood and the example of the apostle Paul who says, I don't deserve to be here, but I am. John Newton, he's saying, I don't deserve to be forgiven, but I am. The woman with the issue of blood, I don't deserve to be pardoned, but I am. I, I just got called a daughter. I just got called, you know, courageous. I just got told that I can live in peace. I don't deserve it, but I have it. The interesting thing about this song is that John Newton wrote it and, and he was declaring how he had, he had held thousands and thousands and thousands of people in slavery. And yet God's grace was enough. The interesting thing about it is that the song that he wrote about his forgiveness from God for bondage, it was a song sung prevalently in the American Civil War, which was about slavery on both sides of the war. It was in their hymn books. It was something that they sang as a declaration of freedom. It was sung on August 26, 1963, when Martin Luther King Jr. spoke his I Have a Dream speech as an anthem of freedom. 
It was spoke on the day, November 9th, 1989, when the Berlin Wall came down as an anthem of freedom. It was saying on February 11th, 1990, when Nelson Mandela was released from prison as an anthem of freedom. So the testimony of bondage became an anthem of freedom. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of us have been lied to by the enemy for a very long time. That if people heard your song, they wouldn't get it. They would judge you. It'd be over for you. But your song holds the key to somebody else's freedom. Your testimony holds the key to somebody else's freedom. There is always somebody who is going through what you've been through. Always. And there's always somebody who needs to know how good Jesus is. So I believe this is the invitation for us today is to shift into this place where we're not just looking for God to do something for us, but we press in to allow him to do something in us so that we can live out of who he is and everything changes. This morning, I'm just gonna make an invitation for those who need to make that commitment to Christ for the first time. Or maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you have felt like, seriously, I don't think there's any hope for me. I'm so, I'm so damaged. Jesus is enough. I'm telling you, Jesus is enough. And so this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you if you'll raise your hand just to signify that you want to make that decision today. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And then we're going to deal with everybody else because God's calling us into more. So with every eye closed right now, I'm just going to ask if you need to make that decision for Christ today. You want to say yes to him. You want to bet the house. <laughs> Would you just raise your hand this morning? Just hold it up until I see it. You're just really signifying before God, yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, I see that hand under the balcony. Anyone upstairs this morning? Yeah, I see that hand. Anybody else this morning? It's a good choice. I'm telling you he's the answer. Anybody else this morning? Okay. Let's all stand together. There's five of you this morning that are making that commitment, I believe. Six. Six. I'm sorry. Six. And it's not weird, it's right. <laughs> it's freedom and it's life and it's a future. And so I'm gonna lead us in a prayer today. So for those who put their hands up, would you just repeat after me and all of us are gonna pray this together and we're gonna all be on the same page and then we're gonna go forward with the next steps. So let's just pray together today. If you're watching online and you need to make this commitment, please just as well, just pop in the comments, yes. And we're gonna, we're gonna see you 
and uh, connect with that as well. But let's just pray this morning. Father God, I come before you and I recognize that I need you, that I'm at the end of me and the beginning of you. I thank you, Jesus, for your love, your grace, your forgiveness. And today I ask you to wash me clean, to make me new, to forgive me, cleanse me, and help me live this new life with you. I receive you today by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, it is as simple as that. It is simply, the word tells us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, it's done deal. And so this morning, for the six of you, it is a done deal. This is a new beginning. And I want to invite you, um, there's uh, cards in the seat in front of you that I think say, I have decided. But if, if you would just fill that out and bring it up at the front, we've got a gift uh, pack for you that's got some starter stuff to get you going in your walk with God that's super helpful. And we would love to just pray for you. But we're just going to stay in this zone. We're going to sing that song that we did a little bit earlier about the lost being saved, find their way at the sound of his great name. And this morning, I wanna invite us as a church, all of us, if you made that commitment today, I want you to come forward and just bring that little card if you would so we can minister to you. But for all of us, I believe we have to decide today, maybe you're good with this, but for any one of us that you've had this little thing on the back of your shoulders that's been holding you back from living fully, who God has said you are. There's an old tag, there's an old title, there's an old label, there's an old experience, and it's just been hanging there. And you can feel it. Every time you feel like you're about to tell about what Jesus has done, you feel like there's this little voice in your head that goes, fraud. They knew. Are you not living perfectly now? What are they gonna think? If you feel like today you just want to run fully into that freedom. It says that this woman, man, after everybody denied that it was them. Can you imagine the feeling? She stands up. And she, she hasn't had anybody look at her or touch her or connect with her in 12 years. And at the risk of everything, she goes me. It was me. And the love of Jesus washes over her. And he already, he already knows. He was just waiting to make sure she knew. He was waiting for her to say, no, you know what? I'm healed. I'm not who I was even this morning. something has happened in me and I don't understand it all but I know it I know it and I believe this morning there's anointing to just be set free from some of those old lies some of the packaging and if that's you this morning as we sing this would you come forward 
And I'm gonna have our pastoral team just get ready and we're just gonna lay hands on you real quick. What the, don't let that scare you. We're just gonna like pray for you, touch you. <laughs> and come into agreement with you because the same way that Jesus looked and there were witnesses that said, no, you are free. We're just gonna come into agreement with that and we're gonna just see some freedom happen this morning. So as we sing this closing song, I know your kids are about ready to be picked up. Don't go with any baggage. Don't go with any lies. Don't go with any packaging on you. Go out free. So if that's you this morning as we close, would you just come forward and let's just sing this anthem of freedom together today in Jesus' name.
come before you this morning and for each one of us. We just thank you that you've given us a new name, Lord. We thank you that you call us beloved, you call us chosen, you call us sons and daughters. And so this morning, God, we just come before you and we refuse all the accusations of the enemy. We refuse the lies, we refuse the old history, we refuse to be labeled by the past. God, we choose your name for us. And right now, we just address the spirit of shame that has tried to block people from living in the fullness. Shame, you have been ejected right now in Jesus' name from having any access to your sons, to God's sons and daughters. We thank you that the name of Jesus is above the name of shame. We thank you that the word tells us that he was, he was put to shame on that cross. He bore our shame. He bore that accusation. He bore our sins on the cross. And we choose to lay hold of the price, even though we can't understand why God would do such a thing for us. We receive it by faith. And so right now, we just thank you for that freedom. We thank you for that love. We thank you for that grace. God, we thank you for changing our understanding of our identity. And Lord, right now, I just speak a release over your people. Fear is not our name. Intimidation is not our name. Broken is not our name. Shame is not our name. Abandoned is not our name. Deserted is not our name. Rejected is not our name. God, today we choose to receive what you say about us. Your grace is sufficient. Your love reaches us. And we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, we pray that even today, as we go from this place, that the words upon our lips would be the stories, the testimonies of our God. Hi, my name is Charlotte. Let me tell you about God. My name is here's my God story. Lord, today I just thank you for that release over your people. And we receive it in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.